Welcome back to Bible Love. We uh, finished up Proverbs and we have Mary Balfour back. We can maybe talk to her coming up about that experience of grieving with her family. Um, Now we're moving into, um, speaking of the ups and downs of life, we're moving into the book of Ecclesiastes. We have Dr. Tony back with us as we do the overview. And we're recording on Wednesday because there's not a feast day for the day this comes out, Thursday, but the day we're recording is the Feast of St. Jerome. And so we thought we would use that prayer. So the Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, who gave us the Holy Scriptures as a light to shine upon our path, grant us, after the example of your servant Jerome, so to learn of you according to your holy word, that we may find the light that shines more and more to the perfect day, even Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Yeah, so we're all sorts of messed up. So we recorded um, the other day, which will come out in a couple weeks with a guest. I wasn't able to be there, but I'm here today. This is coming out tomorrow. Those are coming out in the future weeks. This is like a really weird um, movie with an odd timeline, Mary Balfour. Welcome back. It is. Yeah, thank you so much. And I so thank you all for the prayers for my beloved grandmother, 99 years is a long time to live. Um, I keep reflecting that I've had her for 46. I don't know what life is like without my grandmother. And so that has been a big change. Um, but this week we'll get to celebrate her. And she really wanted me to do the service and preach and even told me what to preach about. So I'm going to do it. And um, I feel really, really honored that I get to do that. And thank you for um, just allowing me to grieve that morning um, that I couldn't be here. And um, I appreciate it so much. And Dr. Tony, can't wait to hear what you have to say about Ecclesiastes. I've learned a lot about this book um, that I did not know a lot. And it's interesting. It keeps kind of coming up in my life a little bit. Um, and in both my professional and my personal. So I'm excited to hear what you had to say, have to say. Well, thanks guys for having me back. I love this and I I, I appreciate you uh, including me. This book, like several that we've looked at lately, is part of that third section of the Hebrew Bible, the writings, along with Job and Proverbs and some of the Psalms. It's part of the wisdom literature And this book is one of the festal scrolls in Hebrew, the Megalot. Each of the five major Jewish festivals has one book of the Hebrew Bible that is associated with it. And the book of Ecclesiastes is associated with tabernacles or booths. Sometimes you'll hear this book called Koela. That's the Hebrew name of the book. And that is the word in Hebrew that is translated teacher in the very first verse of the book. It literally means someone who speaks at a gathering or assembly. So a teacher speaks in front of a gathering of students. And when Jerome, whose uh, prayer Alan just prayed, and his cohorts translated the Bible into Latin, they translated Koheleth 
as Ecclesiastes, and the English translators kept that name uh, when they put the book into the, the what we think of as the Old Testament. Uh, authorship, I think there's a main author that we usually just call the teacher. The King James said the preacher, so sometimes you'll hear that. And I would date this book pretty late in, in terms of the Hebrew Bible. It's probably 3rd century B.C. Um, the content, the particular kind of Hebrew that was used, some words that the Hebrews adopted when they were in exile in Persia creep into Ecclesiastes. So that helps us date the book. And one of the speakers or personas in the book is Solomon. Solomon is a, is so closely connected to the wisdom tradition in Hebrew that he is one of the narrators. But I'll remind us that if I, say, wanted to write a, a book on American proverbial wisdom, I might use Ben Franklin as the narrator of the book. Well, that doesn't mean he's the author. I'm the author, but he's one of the personas or one of the voices in the book, and that's Solomon's place in the book of Ecclesiastes. Dr. Tony, let me interrupt you. So one discussion yes. I had with the guest that's going to be next week mm -hmm. is, I like to use my grandmother's Bible, the Good News Bible, and they call, um, refer to it as the philosopher versus teacher. Yeah. And I thought, and, and in Alexis's version, which I think was New Revised Standard, it was teacher. Um, so it was just sort of interesting to kind of think yeah. about different names for that mm -hmm. person. Um, and I thought philosopher was interesting because it is a lot of literature and metaphor in the, in the book, um, uh, and, which is which kind of gave to me a different lens to look through it. Well, I think the Good News translation reflects the fact that this is the wisdom tradition. Philosophia, which gives us our word philosophy, means love of wisdom, and so I'm 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 certainly good with that. This this person is very interesting that they all have yeah. different. Yeah, and and they all apply. You know, it's not one's right and one's wrong. The, the, this this person is all of those things, and I mean very philosophical. Um, we were saying before we came on the air, if there's anybody who says there's no realism in the Bible, everything has a, a predisposition to faith. Well, then the Book of Ecclesiastes is what you're looking for. If you're a realist, a philosopher, a skeptic an existentialist, then Ecclesiastes is for you. And, and it's one of the uh, easiest books to say what the central message of the book is. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, like chasing after the wind. That marvelous phrase, chasing after the wind, occurs seven times in the Hebrew Bible, always in this book, Ecclesiastes, and we talked in Proverbs about how some metaphors don't translate across culture or over time very well. Well, chasing after the wind communicates in our culture just as well as it does in uh, ancient Hebrew culture. The word vanity occurs 30 times in the Hebrew Bible. 27 of them are in Ecclesiastes. And, and the word vanity translates hevel which means breath or breeze. So again, you're trying to catch the wind, and that's this writer's description of human life, of, of what human beings are able 
to achieve. And, and that's reflected not only in the language of the book, but also in the content of the book. And Mary Balfour and I had lunch a couple of days ago, and Mary Balfour is our glass half full person. So for these next few minutes of, of this summary, you know, she's just got to kind of hold on because something else is coming. But I really want to be true to the spirit of the book. The, the, the book is about this emptiness or meaninglessness. The teacher says, I, I went out and looked at life on its own terms, not influenced by religion, not influenced by faith. I wanted to see what the human experience is, is actually like. And this chasing after the wind is sort of his conclusion from that. He says, not only is life empty, but it's brief. The only certainty in life is death, which awaits not only the foolish, but also the wise. The wise don't escape death. It awaits not only the poor, but also the rich. It awaits not only human beings, but it also awaits animals. Uh, And a theme that we heard, uh, especially in Job, If you look around at life, and we can't disagree with the teacher about this. He said, if you look around, you see wicked people who are prospering while righteous people are suffering. And so the teacher says there is this element, this undeniable element of randomness in life. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong or bread to the wise or riches to the intelligent, or favor to the skillful, but time and chance happen to them all. Life is a crapshoot. <laughs> and the teacher says, uh, and listen, you may be individually, there are individual exceptions. You may be somebody who's very wise and you've worked very hard, but guess what? Chances are when you die, what you worked for all your life is going to be left to somebody who's foolish and lazy. <laughs> so whatever, whatever, you know, momentary triumph there was, that's going to be lost in another generation. The teacher says we think of ourselves as very creative, but there's nothing new under the sun. That's a proverb that exists in American culture that comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything that we're doing has been done before. And the teacher says, we're not going to be remembered for doing these things that we think of as creative any more than we remember the people who did things in the generations that come before us. And so in Proverbs, kind of the response, what do you do in the face of this kind of existential angst? The writer of Proverbs says, get wisdom, get insight. But the teacher says, much wisdom is much vexation, and more knowledge is more sorrow. So so one of the proverbs we have in our culture is, where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. The more you know, the more you have to worry about. And then finally, I want to read because the teacher attributes all of this to God. I mean, Ecclesiastes is very Hebrew in this notion of God's sovereignty. If this is the way life is, it's because God made it that way. So the teacher says in chapter one, I applied my mind to seek, to search out by wisdom, all that is done under heaven. 
It's an unhappy business that God has given to human beings. I saw all the deeds that are under the sun and see all is vanity and a chasing after the wind. So there's the main feel. If you just read Ecclesiastes, right, Mary Balfour, you're talking about reading it through. You can't get away from that. But there are other observations. If you go out and look at life on its own terms, yes, there is emptiness, there is perplexity, but there is an order to life. And what I think is the most famous text from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to harvest. There's a time to build, time to tear down, a time to laugh, a time to weep, a time to mourn, a time to dance. So on one level, the writer feels this, what we would call as modern readers, existentialism, but can't help observing that there's an order to life. And what's more, there's enjoyment to life. And there are, for the teacher, three main enjoyments. One is sensual pleasures. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. The, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes would, shit, would say that's right. And not only that, not only should we take pleasure in eating and drinking, take pleasure in our work, but listen to this. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, Go eat your bread with enjoyment, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has long ago approved what you do. God is not sitting up in heaven waiting for you to mess up so that God can let you have it. If this is all there is to life, God wants you to enjoy it. Romantic love is a, is a source of meaning and enjoyment. The writer says, go, and he's assuming a male perspective, of course, but, but enjoy your life with your wife. And then in what I think is probably the second most well-known passage in Ecclesiastes, the value of friendship, the value of relationships, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up the other one. If one person is alone and falls, there's nobody to lift them up. If two lie together, they keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? And though one might not prevail against a foe, two will withstand a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So not only romantic relationships, but friendships, meaningful relationships with the people in your life, give life pleasure and enjoyment in spite of the confusion, the perplexity on some level, the emptiness, emptiness of life. And then finally, the teacher says, even though we're chasing the wind, even though we don't fully understand God, we get these little glimpses of what God is like. God has made everything suitable for its time. So God can be trusted. To the one who pleases God, God will give that person wisdom and knowledge and joy. And then listen to this statement. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. 
And God has done this so that all should stand in awe, A-W-E, before God. Fascinating. These two, you know, kind of ways of, of looking at life and of, of the human experience. Well, I feel like I'm learning to appreciate um, Ecclesiastes and not to like harbor on my grandmother, but that's just like what's been on sure. my mind a lately. But she was a very raw and honest person. Sometimes people didn't like it, how raw and honest she was. But it's something that I like appreciate. And I feel like the philosopher, the teacher is kind of very raw and honest too. And I think sometimes in the world we can be so concerned about and not, I don't know how to say this. We we want to be sensitive to people's feelings. We don't want to hurt them, you know, all of that. But sometimes we just keep our mouth shut and we're not honest and raw in the way that we need to deep in love. Um, and because we're afraid. And so I, I kind of appreciate this about the teacher in the, in the way that he or she is expressing themselves. And this is, Hey, this is what I've learned. It may not be all roses and sunshine. Um, but these are just my words and my thoughts. Um, Alan, what, what's coming up for you? Yeah, for me, it has me thinking along those lines, you know, how we preach at funerals, how we talk about life in general. I mean, um, there's a lot of folks for whom following Jesus is a way to have a uh, happy marriage, healthy kids, and successful business. It's kind of a plug and play. You do this, and and this will happen. Um, Ecclesiastes is pretty uh, blatantly honest that so that may happen. That may be a byproduct, um, but life is random, and um, good people struggle when people die. Right, like. They're in a better place. Yeah, let's not ever include that in a sermon because, you know, while it may be true, life still sucks for us hearing that sermon. And Ecclesiastes lets us sit in that, in the chaos of life, the disorder of life, the the chance of life. It lets us sit there and know that, yeah, some good things are going to happen to bad people. Bad things are going to happen to good people. And we're going to get, you know, I, what is it? The facts of life, you take the good, you take the bad, you mix them up and there you have the facts of life, you know, to date myself with an 80s sitcom. Yeah. That's Ecclesiastes. Yeah. It's, and and that, that truth and honest and the way life is, is not always a bad thing. So I asked Dr. Tony this on Monday, but now that I've like been studying it a little bit more, one of my questions is, why do you think this is part of the canon? Like why this sort of like random book that's here? But I think I've answered my own question Mm -hmm. in that, Mm -hmm. in that like we do need to hear this kind of truth. Sometimes we do need to hear what's realistic and what's life. um, What that it is not always, I'm just happy as I can be, you know, that there are, are ups and downs all three of us have experienced that and we will experience more of it. Our parishioners experience it and we will experience more of it. And so I think there's something important to Canon to the Bible that there is, this is there, you know, and this is real and this is life. 
And, and don't we all have, I mean, don't we all in a way want life to be neat? We want, of course, yeah. want things to be understandable. We don't want things to be random. We don't want to live with ambiguity. Um, but, but yet, I mean, if you're honest about life, those, those things are, are very much part of, of life in this world. I think the first time, if you sit down and read Ecclesiastes through the first time, you think this guy's all over the place. I mean, how can, how yeah. can these, you know, how can life as a crapshoot coexist with what God has done? Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. And, but I think, like you said, Mary, before that, that's life. Haven't we all had days and seasons when we were almost overwhelmed by pain or grief or confusion? God seemed very far away, if not absent altogether. And then in other days and seasons, we're almost overwhelmed with the presence of God and the goodness of life. And, and I think sometimes people of faith, feel reservation about talking about the difficult stuff. We want to have a positive witness or whatever we might call it. But the writer of Ecclesiastes is not constrained by that. I mean, he says this, this is life. And, um, and, and a lot of people have said, how in the world did this make it into the canon? Well, I think you're exactly right, Mary Balfour. You've answered the question. And, and, and so you know, what does it contribute to discipleship or to Judeo-Christian tradition? It's just what Alan said. Anything that's too neat, too formulaic, if you just do this, you know you're going to get that result. Ecclesiastes won't let that stand. And in his context, that was reward and retribution theology. Right. Be obedient, God blesses you. Be disobedient, God punishes you. Well, that's neat. That's what's attractive about that. That's simple. And in a way, we would like for life to work that way. But the writer of Ecclesiastes says, no, if you just open your eyes and look at life on its own term, you can't believe that. And so in that regard, Jesus comes along and says the teacher was right. Jesus sets aside reward and retribution theology once and for all. But as Alan was intimating, in our day, Sunday, after you go to Alan's church or Mary Balfour's church or my church, uh, go home and turn on the TV and find some TV preacher, and you will hear that TV preacher say, if you have the right beliefs, enough faith, Certainly voices of the culture say if you have enough money, if you have enough power, if you have enough wisdom, this is the wisdom tradition. Life is neat and everything becomes manageable. And Ecclesiastes flies in the face of any of those. So so to state it as 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 a kind of a proverb, we're in this wisdom tradition. If if your way of looking at life answers all the questions, chances are you're missing some really important questions. Mm. And if your theology explains everything about God and about life, chances are your theology is pretty shallow. Yeah. You know, the miss, it helps me with my mystery too, of not understanding at all. And then the, the other thing I really wanted to hone in on, and we've talked about it a little bit, but, um, for everything there is a season, which everybody knows. 
I think we are doing a disservice to ourselves by not reading the chapter before and the chapter after, because it is almost like when Greg Milliken was on here and, you know, we were cherry picking, you know, about some of the same sex marriage stuff, right? It's almost like this kind of in the valley on the, on the other side of, of, of both of those parts. So that's the part we like. That's the part that makes us feel good. You know, there's a season for everything. But if you really read the whole thing, the, the writer is reacting to life and we're just cherry picking out what we want, what we like, what we want to put on the um, needlepoint pillow. Right. Yeah. And, and part of what makes it so compelling is I said about Proverbs, God is rarely mentioned, but always assumed. The writer of Proverbs is predisposed to faith. The writer of Ecclesiastes is not. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, without that predisposition, let's look at life on his own terms. And for all of his skepticism, he can't leave faith out of it. In all of the ambiguities and mystery of life, God keeps showing up often enough and in the right kind of ways that even the writer of Ecclesiastes says, you know what, when it's all said and done, we're all going to stand in awe before God. That is so compelling. I mean, of course, the preacher, you know, I'm going to say, believe in Jesus. But when a skeptic kind of goes out and says, without priest disposition to faith, when I looked at life, on its own terms, struggled with all the complexities, the unfairness, the mystery. I had to make a place for God. I mean, that's a compelling witness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that we really need to know about Ecclesiastes? You feel like um, we we dig in it, into it more just as a little teaser for y'all with Dr. Yeah. Alexis Carter Thomas, and we talk about the Reverend Doctor. We talk about what's happened in her life in the last year that she got the Doctor added to her title um, next week. But um, you know, a few things. Just I'm curious if you thought or you saw this, like in the Good News Bible. I love this book because this um, it it like gives me like little outlines above everything. And there's this specific part for young adults. It, or at least that's what it named it for in the Good News Bible. I think it was like chapter eight, maybe, or something like that. But it's it's just like, it makes me imagine like this just wise old man standing up there being like, hey, kiddos, this is what I think you need to do, you know. But then if you look at it from the other perspective, it's also like our elderly have something to tell us, you know. They, they're ones that have experienced life. We're not the end-all, be-all um, and maybe it's just like a good buddy sharing some things that may be difficult, and maybe hard. That's what I'm starting to process through with Ecclesiastes. Which is why, you know, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs get linked in the wisdom tradition. They both have that theme in common. The people who've lived life for a while have, I mean, remember in Proverbs, you know, children listen to your parents, students listen to your teacher, young people listen to the old people because in all of our years of living, we've learned a thing or two. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm only 46, but I feel like even 10 years ago, you know, I've, I've got more 
thoughtfulness about life and how things affect me and what bothers me to death and what doesn't and still what's the core of me. You know, I can imagine the two of you have felt that way too. Just as time goes on, you feel more confident in what you're willing to share, you know, about life. And and I think for me, Mary Balfour, um, I've become, I grew up in a tradition that had a really neat, tidy theology that answered all the questions. And so it was a journey for me to say there is an element of randomness in human existence and in the universe, and that doesn't undermine the sovereignty of God. There are a lot of people who say, in order for God to be sovereign, we have to have answers to all the questions. And there's some freedom in recognizing we can say that there are days and seasons when even the pursuit of faith feels like chasing the wind. Uh, But that doesn't mean that God is not there. That doesn't mean that God is not doing what God is supposed to be doing, what God does in love for us. Um, So that I, I wish for, I mean, modern believers are just so afraid of ambiguity. And and listen, life is full of it. And so if we can if we can acknowledge that and then just say God is on our side long ago, God approved that we enjoy our lives, Uh, which doesn't that I mean, that's half a step from Paul. God is at work for good in all things, not just the things that make sense, not just the things that we can explain. But God is at work for good, even in the mysteries and ambiguities of life. Well, thank you, Dr. Tony, so much. Um, Listeners, eat, drink, and be merry. And know that we love you, but most importantly, God does.